Welcome to Bethel Brandon Sunday Message. Please head over to our website, BethelBrandon.ca, to figure out how we can best serve I hate to tell you this, but it is September. Now, the way I figured it, I realized it was September was that yesterday was 32 degrees Celsius, and in the middle of the night, I got up, and it was like 10 degrees Celsius. And I'm saying to myself, what is that, like Manitoba in, in September? It just seems like all of a sudden during the evening, once the lights are turned off, it just gets cold. So my, uh, uh, my desire to be able to go ahead sometimes in the evening is, is less enthusiastic in the afternoon when it's still nice and sunny. So we need to take advantage of, of all these things. Now, if, you, if you've just been joining us, and if you're online and you are joining us, um, I've been kind of going through a series which is called Thrive. And it was based on the fact that no matter what situation you are in, I believe God wants us to thrive. You could be going through the most difficult situation, or as a church, we might be going through the most difficult situation, or a time in history where the church is going through the most difficult times in history. Could be through persecution, could be through, through whatever is taking place going on in your life. And everything says that you shouldn't be thriving, but you are. And that's the thing about Christianity. God has called us to thrive, and I believe that God wants us to thrive. But sometimes we go through the repercussions of what's happening in our society, and that somehow seems to pull us down. And I found through the summer as I was praying that we needed to look again at the fact of building ourselves up. That no matter what you're going through, whatever challenges you might be facing right now, God has called us to thrive, and my prayer for you this day is that you will thrive. Particularly as we go into the month of September and the gears begin to change and, um, and we begin to look at, at things a little bit differently. You, you ever find that? It's kind, of like, it's kind of like all of a sudden September comes in this kind of invisible sh- gear kind of shifts. I find that the way it is, don't you? So what I wanted to do as I kind of wind down this subject, I wanted to talk about the power of priority. There is something important about thriving when we are doing what God wants us to do. Now, have you ever heard of the 80-20 principle? Kind of wave at me if you've heard, hey, yeah, the 80-20 principle. It applies to so many different things. But one of the things it says is this. If I spend... 80% or 20%, sorry, 80% of my time on my top three priorities, I will usually get 80% of the work done. Now, you apply that to other things, but that, in essence, I have found to, to be something which is true. The difference between someone who is effective and ineffective is the establishment and fulfillment of the things that are most important. A number of years ago, there was a book put out by Campus Crusade for Christ. It was called The Tyranny of the Urgent. And what was taking place and what they were, they, the essence they were saying is that sometimes we get so inundated by the things that have to be done right now that we never, ever get the stuff done which is important to us, the things which are important. Stephen Covey. Uh, a, a great leader wrote a book, Seven Effective Habits of Highly Successful People, says this. He says, most of us spend too much time on what is urgent and not enough time on what is important. That's true, don't you think? So it leads me to ask an important question for every single person 
who is here today. And maybe you will answer this question different than the way I might answer this question. But it is an important question to figure out nonetheless. And it is this. What were the priorities or what are the priorities of Jesus? It's important to know what the the importance of the priorities of Jesus is because we as Christians fashion our lives after him, do we not? Like it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you as an example that you should follow in his steps. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. It says we're supposed to be imitators of Christ. We're supposed to abide in him. It says in in Philippians, at a a most crucial part in the book, in Philippians chapter 2, as they're going through some of the problems, and Paul is talking about some of the problems, he says this, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. What would Jesus do? What are his priorities? That, That saying, what would Jesus do, has been popular now for about 35 years. Sometimes you guys say, how did, how did this thing actually come into existence? Well, what they did is they traced back when this actually started. And what happens was there was a youth group in, in Holland, uh, Michigan, 1989. Calvary Reformed Church, the youth group. And what they did is they did a study on Charles Sheldon's book, his novel in 1896, in his staffs. Now, I'm kind of thinking as a youth pastor, that might not be a good draw, would you? Okay, so, so for youth, we're going to be studying a, a book from like 120 years ago, and I'm sure you're going to be excited about that. But what happened was, it, the book was based on the premise that we kind of all know. That in every thought and every action, you have to ask yourself, what would Jesus do? And if you did that, it would make a difference in your life. And so this youth group took this, this to heart And one of the things that they did is they weaved together this bracelet which says WWJD. What would Jesus do? And soon the community saw it and they wanted a bracelet as well. And by 1990, not only were there bracelets, there were shirts, there were other paraphernalia, Christian merchandise, all having this WWJD. In in the latest statistics, there have been over 14 million of these bracelets that are made. But it does say something, doesn't it? It is kind of that tangible reminder of a powerful question. What would Jesus do? What are his attitudes? What are his priorities? Because what Jesus did or would do signifies the priorities that he had. Priorities shape our choices, and choices determine our actions. What were Jesus' priorities? And if you don't know what Jesus' priorities were, it'd be very difficult to figure out what he would do. So like I said, how do you answer that question? What, were you, what would you say the things are, are the priority of Jesus? Well, I put three together. Now, you can come afterwards and say, I disagree with these, but that's fine. Um, I'm basing these on the Word of God, and I'm hoping that you'll agree with me. But if not, I'll, I'll begin for an argument if you want to or something like that. But as I take a look at the Word of God, 
I see a pattern time and time and time and time and time again. And when you see Jesus not just saying things, but repeatedly saying things and repeatedly doing things, all of a sudden you come to the realization, this is a priority. So what were the top three priorities that Jesus had? First of all, I say, he had a priority for people. And he talks about this, first of all, as he's speaking to the people, and he says, what is the greatest commandment? And it says in, in, um, in Mark chapter 12 and Luke, Luke chapter 10, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And then he says, the other one's just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then what he did is he spent the rest of his life living that out. To the point that at the end of his life, he says this. A new command I give you. Love each other as I have loved you. Jesus loved people. He recognized people that other people didn't see. They would be probably the insignificant the other thing that people, the other thing that Jesus noticed was that he noticed people who were affected by sin, people who were immoral, people who were seen by society as not the people you're supposed to be hanging out with, was the infected. The other thing, the other group of people that he saw were people who really couldn't help themselves. He loved the infirmed, and, and, and many times he see him with children. He, he loved the innocent. And every time you take a look at Jesus, he had this ability to be able to look at the heart of people. He recognized people despite their politics. He recognized people despite their perception of society. He recognized people over the piousness of the age. He recognized people over profit. And the funny thing is, these things all exist today. As a matter of fact, if you look a little bit more deeply, you'll find this that perhaps the main reason that Jesus did not get along with the religious society was because he loved people. And I think that that should be a warning, an indicator to us. Does our faith, does the way that we live lend towards loving people? If your faith doesn't love people, then you need to take a look at your faith again. If my religion hates people, if my religion hurts people, if my religion harasses people, if my religion hops over people, am I truly following the priorities of Jesus? It's probably why he gives the prayer parable of the Good Samaritan because it talks about that very thing. And a person who says they love Jesus and ignores people has to reevaluate their faith. And a church that overlooks people needs to evaluate what they're doing. Because we see it all the time, don't we? One of the main priorities that Jesus had, if you take a look time and time again, was the fact that he loved people over everything else. Here's the other thing. There was a priority that I will call the priority of prayer. If you ever have like a a real interesting study that you want to do, go over the Gospels. Put a check mark or write down every instance where Jesus prays. You will find that there are 45 different instances through the Gospel where Jesus goes by himself to pray. 
you'll be amazed at how many times he kind of goes back, spends time. Sometimes in the busiest moments, he's praying. In conflict times, he is praying. In times of crisis, he's praying. In times of direction, he is praying. Did you realize that before, he, before Jesus chose the 12 disciples, it says he prayed all night. When he was in temptation, he fasted and prayed for 40 days. And when you consider all of this, really, when you consider all this, and add to that the number of times that Jesus taught about prayer, the number of times he talked about prayer, the number of parables that he speaks out about prayer, and add to that the fact that he was God in human, fe- and God in human flesh, it should somehow, somewhere along the way, say, I think this is important. I think this is something which is crucial for my life. And we don't stop there. Read on in the book of Acts, and you will see that the disciples, if they had learned anything from Jesus, it was this thing called prayer. Before Pentecost, they prayed. After Pentecost, they prayed. When they had to have elders, they prayed. When they commissioned the missionaries, they prayed. In the most difficult times, when the the apostles were in prison, they prayed. In every instance, they had learned the value of corporate prayer, to be able to pray together. It led me to ask my question, do we pray? I know we talk about prayer. I know that we know that it is important to pray. But the real important question we have to ask is, do we pray? Or maybe the question that I ask myself as a pastor of a church is this. How do I make prayer stick? Because I would imagine that there will be nobody who will leave this place today that says, well, I don't, really, I don't really agree with that prayer thing. I agree with everything else, but I don't really agree with that prayer thing. None of us would say that. If you love Jesus with all of your heart, you realize that what I'm telling you is true. But what is it that makes us and keeps us from being effective in our prayer life? It's an important thing. I have two stickers, like on my, on my uh, computer. I have two stickers, like the, the stick'em notes. They actually have computer ones. So every time I turn on my computer... I have, uh, I have two things that, that statements that are on there to remind me to pray. The one is by E.M. Bounds. And it says this, Before a person can be adept at speaking to, to men on behalf, or people on behalf of God, he first, or they first, have to be good at speaking to God on behalf of men. That challenges me. Every day as I get up to speak, or every time I get up to speak, that, that verse reads me that I have to be spending the time in prayer to speak, to be qualified to speak, because we want the unctioning of the Holy Spirit to work through the voice that is speaking. The other one is, is one that I've, I've mentioned to you before. It's by Leonard Ravenhill, and I have it up here. It says, no man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players, payers, but few prayers. The next list this, many singers, few clingers, lots of pastors, few wrestlers, many fears, few tears, much fashion, little passion, many interferers, few intercessors, many writers, but few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. And the power of a church and the advancement of a church As much as we like to think that it's in our programs and in our worship and all the things that we offer up in terms of a service, they fall 
in comparison to a church that prays successfully. So ask yourself this question. In the middle of the night this morning, I asked myself a question. Why do we pray? What is the thing that, that motivates you to pray? Well, I came up with what I call the four ends of prayer. And I just kind of thought this through, but I, let me just pass this out to you this morning, if I could. I think one of the reasons we pray is for, because of intention. We want God to do something for us. God, I pray that you'll heal me. God, I pray that you will supply for my need. God, I pray that you will direct me in this way or in that way. God, I pray that you will help me as I go to school this year. I pray that you will help me as I face this challenge at work. A number of things. We ask God. We have intentions. We have, are asking God for something. And it's good to be able to do that. Scripture tells us to bring all of our requests to him. But if all you are stuck with is in the intention stage, then you won't pray. You'll only pray when the red light comes on. I think God wants us to pray more than that. But there's also a level which I call not intention, but intimacy. And it's not asking, uh, God, what can you do for me? What you're asking is, God, can you please do something in me? So there's times when you go before God and you say, you know what, God, I really don't have any needs or I do have needs, but those are secondary. What I do want to do is I want to sit at your feet and I want to know you more. I want to be able to understand who you are and who I am in the process. It's not God do something for me. It's God do something in me. And I believe that that is a wonderful time. And if you get to that stage, there are wonderful times of worship and times in the presence of God. But I still think that if all you are doing is sitting and doing those things, then it is good. I think it's what God calls us to do. But I think that there's another stage. That other stage is what I'll call the instilling stage. It doesn't say, God, what can you do? Can you do something for me or God do something in me? It says this, God do something through me. God, I'm here and I want you to move in my life and I'm just so grateful that you have come in and that, and that, and that I want to be with you and I want to give you all of my heart. But now I'm at a point, Father, where I realize that there is a need out there and I know that there's a destiny that I have as a believer in Christ and I want you to move through me. I want to be the access that you use. I want it to be the instrument. I want to be the conduit that you use through in. The instilling part. The intention, the intimacy, the instilling. I think there's another part. It's called the interceding. So when all of a sudden the prayer doesn't become about me in any way, shape, or form, that I begin to reach out to others and I come to the realization... To come to the realization that nothing is going to happen unless God moves. And that's why I'm praying. So it's not God do something for me. It's not God do something in me. It's not God do something through me. It's God do something despite me. And if we can get ourselves to that point, when we come to those points of intimacy, when we come to those points where we are just so down deep in trying to seek God, then prayer begins to stick. My prayer is this, God create in us a culture to pray. I could say as the pastor, I think that God is calling us to a renewed state of prayer. I think God has always been calling us to a renewed state of prayer. I think the call is this, 
we need to get back to those things that makes the church great. Amen? It was Jesus' priority. There's one more. There's the priority, first of all, of people, the priority of prayer. One of the biggest ones, and maybe the biggest one, is the priority of purpose. Is the fact that Jesus came to earth. The whole reason that he comes and lives on earth is that he has to fix mankind's problem. That there is sin. And there's an offense towards God because of this sin. And we can't have this. We can't sit there and, and, and it is something which, which is, has divided our relationship with God. And there has to be a price which is paid. And this is where you kind of hear all the, the religious words. He has redeemed us. He has purchased us. And when Jesus dies on the cross, he purchases us. Purchases uh, the price for sin in our lives so that we can have access to God. Propitiation. Ever read that in the Bible and say, what's that about? Well... It is, it is that point where, where Jesus satisfies the need for the penalty of sin so that we can have access to God. An atoning sacrifice. And this is why he came. You ever, you ever read and, and, and maybe mark in your Bibles every time Jesus makes a statement, I have come. You ever hear that? You ever read your Bible? I have come. You know, one of the most popular is, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it to the fullest. There's a number more of them, and many of them are radical. I haven't come to bring peace, but I've come to bring a sword. I've come to divide mother against brother and sister against father. You know, the, the statements, things that make you say, whoa, what's going on here? Jesus had a purpose. The last thing he says on the cross is this, it is finished. What is finished? His purpose. He paid the price for our sins. In a few minutes, we're going to be taking communion. His purpose is so special that he doesn't want us to forget the value of the cross and its importance to our life. And based on this, is there anything more important than our soul? In our destiny. What does it profit a man, Jesus says, if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? I was sitting and pondering, what is the most important thing in my life right now? I will tell you for sure, unequivocally, that the most important thing for me right now is to know that my children are going to make it to heaven and not just by the skin of their teeth. Because what happens is there's something that, that happens to you when you hit a certain age. The older that I get, the more I believe in the reality of heaven. I think perhaps one of our great, great, greatest challenges in the church is that we begin to believe that there is a place called heaven and that our life begins to reflect that. And there's a time that we have to say, God, what am I here for? Because if you don't regularly ask yourself that question... All the things which are happening during the week, all the responsibilities that you have, all the things that you're taking your children to, all of the responsibilities that are heaped upon you, end up taking over the reality of our divine purpose. And it leads me to the reality of the fact that everything that Jesus did stemmed from the fact that he knew there was a place called heaven. And that when you allow the priority of heaven to become alive in you, 
that the things of this world end up lining into place. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things, they'll be added unto you. God will take care of all those things. To ask yourselves regularly, God, what about eternity? What about the, the purpose that lasts past this life? The Bible says it is a foolish thing to concern yourself with eternity only when you get to eternity. Well, I'll take care. I'll take care of heaven when I get there. And what happens is, is if you are here and you're a follower of Jesus, you say, well, I've made the decision to follow Jesus, but for some reason, we think, well, that's good enough until I get to heaven. The Bible says if you think that way, you're foolish. And that if the priority of Jesus was the eternal soul of mankind, who am I not, now that I do know Jesus, to think of the eternal consequences of those people around me? And so I tell as many people as I can about Jesus. Did you realize that you are in an environment where there are people that I will never, ever be able to reach? That there is a circle that is part of your life, an aura that affects people that I'll never, ever be able to affect. Not only that, other people won't be able to affect most of those people. You are in a unique position to allow heaven to come into the lives of other individuals. And this was part of Jesus' purpose. And it became so much a part of the apostles' purpose that they died very difficult lives for the sake of it. So it's important to ask yourself, what were the priorities of Jesus? It's one of those things where you just say, well, it doesn't really matter to you because it does. If you've given your heart to Jesus, if you're a passionate follower of Jesus, you want to know what the priorities of Jesus are, aren't you? And it's an important question to ask yourself because in three days or two days, you'll be sending your kids to school. Holidays will be over. Responsibilities will change. Even as a church, programs will be starting. And in the midst of all of that, Things get swamped out. And God calls us to love people in the midst of the busyness. It calls us to be intimate with him and to realize that when all is said and done, there is heaven to gain. There's a, a, a statement that says this. The, the, I think it's my last slide that says this. The mark of a vitally effective spiritual life is one who knows when to set aside the important things in order to accomplish the vital. To establish my priorities to line up with Jesus. Your priorities will foul you up if they don't line up with Jesus, don't you think? When, when I've got the wrong priorities, and when I'm so busy that I forget my priorities, what I tend to do is I tend to switch the price tags. You ever do that? Something that you think is really cheap or something that is really cheap, you put a high value on, and something which has high value, you put a, a low price tag on. Have you ever switched the price tags? No. I've had, sometimes I've seen that. Hey, there was one time where we went shopping, and we went shopping because prime rib was $9.99 a pound. 
And, you know, primary. We were talking about the good stuff with the bone. And, oh, man. So we rushed down to get some of this, this great roast beef. I do it on the barbecue, the charcoal. Oh, never mind. I'm not going to get into the, the intimacies of it. When we got there, we found out that the person who did the prices was a bit dyslexic. And that the roast beef was $6.99 a pound as opposed to $9.99 a pound. And so you know what I said? Maybe we should buy some more. Right? No, you wouldn't do that? Am I the only person who... I'm not. But all of a sudden, if I get to the till and she presses in $69.99 a pound... I'm going to say, hey, whoa, whoa, hold on. i got to get a few more of those steaks. No, I'm not. I won't be so anxious to tell them when it's $6.99 per pound, but I am super anxious to tell them when it's $69.99 a pound, which I think is probably the regular price now, is it not? I'm not sure. My question is this. My thought is this. My challenge is this for you today. Are we buying roast beef for $69.99 a pound? Are we so caught up in the moment? Are we so caught up with other priorities that we don't see the important things that last for eternity? That's a challenge. So as you get your kids ready for school, and as there are 100 responsibilities that you have at work, and everything else that will threaten to push the important things off to the side to get the urgent done. That we just take time and say, God, move in a powerful way in my life so that I see the important things, that I fulfill the important things so that you can have all that you have of me in my life and in your life. In Jesus' name. So if you have your communion cups, this is probably the best time to talk about this. It's all, all centers around, communion centers around the top priority of Christ to come and redeem mankind. And if you read in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, it says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And we had given thanks. He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Goes on in verse 25. It says this in the same way. After supper, he took the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. They might be new and you're seeing this thing and wondering how it goes. There's a little cellophane thing that you peel back and you get the little wafer there. It's the start. Lord, you died for my sins. Your body was broken. And Lord, every time I forget that and every time I make little of it or every time that I just am so busy that I forget, Father, bring me back to the price of the cross and you dying on the cross for me. Your body was broken for me and today we celebrate that. Let's partake together.
so we peel back the tin foil. We have the grape juice. And I'm hoping you're still with us online because it's an important thing. This grape juice represents the blood that was shed for Christ. It is the reason that he came, so that we might have life. And Lord, we celebrate now. It seems strange to celebrate somebody dying, but if you did not die, Father, we would have no hope. But you rose again, and we're so thankful for that. And as we participate together as the body of Christ, I pray your blessing will flow in Jesus' name. Let's participate together. stand at this time. If you could just kind of lift your hands, raise them towards the altar, raise it towards the front as I raise them towards you. I am so imperfect as the pastor of this church and there's so many times that I have failed and messed up but Lord you still have me in this place Father to be a pastor of a church and I'm so thankful for it and I believe God that you are wanting to move through me and you are wanting to move through this church so I impart as the pastor of this church a blessing upon every single person who is listening to this message or who will listen to this message I pray, Father, that we will have hearts that are undivided to you. I pray, Father, that you will help us to leave this place with the priorities of Christ established in the midst of our busy lives so that you will continue to be number one in everything that we say and do. And when we do that, Father, we will thrive. We can't help but thrive. So I pray that blessing upon each and every family, each and every individual, each and every child which is represented by that family right now in Jesus' name. And let us feel and sense the presence of the Holy Spirit through that blessing today. Let us leave this place with the feeling that happens when God moves upon our lives. I pray in Jesus' name that you will do something powerful this fall. May you be lifted up, O oh God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Glenn. Thanks for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please head over to BethelBrandon.ca to listen to our older messages or maybe connect with us and figure out how we can best serve you. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.